Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 328, and I had a conversation with Julia Verdon. Julia is trying to make this world better through her art and advocacy. Her 30-plus year career includes writer, award-winning director, producer, activist, advocate. Her mission is to raise awareness on social issues through film and encourages filmmakers to think about how their content shapes the world. She's an extraordinary human, teacher, philanthropist, and creator, and I really enjoyed speaking with her. She and I have run into each other at numerous events. We were introduced by John Penny, who has been on this show, and I'm really glad that I got a chance to sit down with her and learn more about her and her work and and what she wants to do to make this world a better place to live in for everyone, but most especially for those who are most vulnerable. If you'd like to check out other episodes that are like today's topics, try Jill Rudder, episode 68, Rosanna McGrotten, episode 52, John Fusco, episode 265, and Deb, episode 294. Looking for older episodes of Hey Human but can't find them on your apps that only hold 300 at a time, you can go to blurby.com slash heyhumanwithsusanruth. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y for the blurby part. Uh, There you'll find all the episodes from the very beginning, all six plus years of episodes. You can also visit heyhumanpodcast.com and of course they are there. All of them are there. If you want to check the podcast section or the human section, you'll find easy links that will take you to any episode that you desire. In other news, make sure to check out heyhumanpodcast.com, as I mentioned, for links and to learn more about my guests and the show in general, susanruth.com to learn more about me, and please follow Susan Ruthism and Hey Human Podcast on social media. Also, check out my new relationships and sex show. It's called Are We There Yet? with sexologist and healthcare practitioner Mara Edelman. It is on YouTube under youtube.com slash are we there yet podcast show. So definitely check that out. I also have a regular YouTube channel under official Susan Ruth. Though, really, if you just Google me, you're going to find a gajillion different things to to learn about me and the things I do. So definitely check that out if you are interested. Thanks for listening. Be well. Help each other out. These are trying times. It's really hot out there. Please, if you see somebody that might need cooling off, you know, a neighbor who maybe doesn't have air conditioning or uh, needs a little extra help carrying groceries up or whatever it is, please reach out a a helping hand or help get them out of the heat and into cooler uh, rooms or take them for coffee or something. Whatever you can do, uh, just stay cool in this intense heat. Drink water if you can. If you know somebody that doesn't have great access to fresh water, help them out. You know, we're all in this together. Stay safe out there. Be love. And thanks for listening. All right, here we go. Julia Verdon, welcome to Hey Human. Hello, Susan Ruth, and thank you for having me. There's a lot of hustle and bustle around here. Well, when you make indie films, there's usually a lot of people. As, as, as they say, it takes a village absolutely. to make a film. So yeah, there's always a lot of people over here and, and 
you know, especially with like Artists for Change, the nonprofit we found, we have a lot of volunteers who are always mm-hmm. helping. Director, writer, producer, activist, advocate, you do all sorts of things. I, I think the longer you live, the more experiences that you want to have. So the more you, you train yourself to do different things or you find yourself doing different things. I started as an actress. I went to, I, well, actually originally I wanted to be a ballet dancer, but I was never able to do point work. So I auditioned for the Royal Ballet School and didn't get in. Mm-hmm. And then decided that after doing a few school plays and really enjoying them, I decided to go into acting. So I went to drama school, had a decent amount of success as an actress. I had a lot of those. 7.30 sitcoms in England, a couple of Barbara Cartland period romance films, um, some fringe theatre, and a, a lot of like TV shows like um, Howard's Way. Um, I played the lead girl's best friend. Um, uh, Never the Twain with Donald Sindon, French Peels with Anton Rogers and Julia McKenzie. I played his uh, assistant with a French accent and, um, and, and, a, and a number of other things and I really enjoyed it but I kind of fell into producing by accident when I um, got offered a job running the development section of a new film company and I got you know, more and more involved in doing that and the acting kind of fell to the wayside a little bit and, and I became a producer, so it wasn't really planned. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Was the family creative? Yeah, absolutely. My family, originally I was born in Henley-on-Thames, um, but we then moved to Oxford when I was about seven. So both my parents went to Oxford and were quite literary. And we didn't have a TV in the house until I was about 15. So I grew up reading books and was a total bookworm and actually very grateful for that now because it gave me a great kind of literary background and um, having a good knowledge of literature means there's uh, an abundance of wonderful material. It fosters imagination yeah. more so than television because television showing you what things look like and how it is played out and when you are allowed to figure that out on your own through books uh, I think you get to go further and f- into the the depths of what you think and feel about things. I I think that's that's a very interesting observation and I think that's really true. I mean, I, I, I used to spend hours as a child in my imagination. And, and it was, I was wonderfully happy there. <laughs> I'd yeah. come up with all sorts of stories, all sorts of scenarios and, and, and it was, it was kind of you know, joyful. Siblings? I have a brother and a sister, Mm -hmm. and then my father remarried. I also have two half-sisters and a half-brother. That's a big family. Yeah, so so it went from being a small family to quite a big one. All right, and Oxford is beautiful. Oh, it's it's really beautiful. We we also have a... a, My my father's main business was he was a scientist Mm -hmm. and a kind of entrepreneur. But his hobby business was he brought this rather beautiful restaurant and boathouse called Charwell Boathouse and we lived in the house right behind it so we lived right on the river I learned to swim in the river Charwell 
and um, it was fantastic growing up as a kid whenever I was hungry I could go down to the restaurant and get extra food there was always a colorful array of people down there um, working uh, one of my kind of first jobs as a as a teenager was running our tea hut so selling ice cream and soft drinks and, and cakes uh, it was rather fun though as I as I got older I think we probably ate most of the profits because <laughs> I'd have all my friends over for tea and I think that's when my, my I became very social and you know because we had this restaurant and mm -hmm. um, you know food and and drinks I became rather popular as a result so a lot of people would want to come and spend time there this actually sounds like a British television show <laughs> I would watch that show <laughs> yeah but I, I, one of my favorite British TV shows I don't know if you ever saw it but it's very very funny was Fawlty Towers oh absolutely I, yeah. I started school in my dad taught at Cambridge so I started school in England so we would watch you know Monty Python Fawlty Towers are you being served Red Dwarf, all these great shows. So funny. Yeah, there's nothing like British comedy. Mm -hmm. It really it really is the best. And actually we had this wonderful gentleman who, who used to run the restaurant who was almost like a character from Faulty Towers because he was very blunt with people. Like guests would arrive early and he'd be there. He was very tall and, and would be wearing tennis shorts and a straw hat. And his girlfriend was the cook and um, customers would, would arrive a little too early and he would like literally go to them, what are you doing here? Go away, go away, we're not ready, shoo, shoo. But they would Basil. love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love no, it. It, was totally, it was, he was a total basil, but customers would love it. Oh, and they so would funny. come back for this experience. Every now and again, when they, they'd have a lover's spat, sometimes you'd have to duck to avoid a chicken being thrown across the restaurant. But, um, you know, as I said, it was a lot of colourful characters and it was, it was, it was really fun. Hello. Oh, hello little one. There's dogs running through the hallway. Just FYI for oh, those I, of you listening. I love dogs. I have a, Me too. A, a, I'm a great proponent for rescuing dogs. Yes. Big fan myself. Yeah. Love, love the furries. Uh, not to be confused with furries. <laughs> they have their place in the world as well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, when did you start getting an inkling that you wanted to go into the creative arts full time? I think, you know, kind of right, I mean, right when I finished um, drama school. Oh, you know, I, okay. I went kind of right in. I got my first, you know, I booked my first job pretty quickly and, mm -hmm. and I was fairly busy as an actress for quite a while and then I got more and more busy in producing. And you knew that and was the path. Yeah, yeah. I realised I was really good at that. And I'm, I'm just not good at waiting, sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. Or, or kind of saying to people, can I be in your movie? I prefer creating and, and making opportunities. And I found that one of the things I loved about acting was developing characters. But I found that in, in working with writers as a producer or, or you know, coming up with concepts for material. Mm. And now you know, that I've eventually evolved into directing and writing as well as producing, as a writer, I love creating characters and kind of thinking of the, you know, the, the complexity of, of personality. It's really fun and that was, so I kind of get what I loved about acting. 
How did directing inform your acting? How did your writing inform your directing? And how did producing inform all of those things? Well, having had an acting training is really helpful for directing because I think one of my strengths as a director and something I've often been complimented on is my ability to get great performances out of like young and usually relatively inexperienced actors. And a lot of that is thanks to my acting training because having been there myself, I know what it feels like to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and expose your, your, your feelings. And, and I also know, you know, understand how to give actors direction in a form that they can comprehend. Because if you tell an actress to be more sexy, they don't know what to do with that. But yet, if you say, go into that scene with the intention of seducing that person, they know what to do with that, you know, or to manipulate mm -hmm. or to whatever it is. I worked with a, a wonderful um, director's coach called Judith Weston, and she, she stresses always using active verbs to give directors action. And I, I think it's invaluable advice if you just say to an actor, you need to be more scary. They're, they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. But if, if you give them like, you know, a specific way of being more scary, then it's so much easier and they can kind of get their head around it. And I also think kind of gentle encouragement. You know, I've, I've worked with many directors over the years as a producer and sometimes seen people kind of scream at the actors and the actors almost kind of their performances go worse because they get more and more nervous. I think to kind of coax a performance out of someone is a much more effective way of, of getting what you need. Do you find as a female director that you, forging your way and your path, that that also opened up your eyes in a way to some of the other things that are going on in the industry, which is why you make such an effort to create films that say something and that do something and that facilitate people to, to be in their you know core being and the way they, they live their lives. I think it, it, you know it's been amazing the strides that we've made and now being conscious of how um, women are treated on set and as actors both in both in terms of, of writers thinking a little bit more about how they write female roles. So they're not just the attractive, busty blonde, right? But really looking at, but really doing a good push for diversity and 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 giving you know women characteristics, right? And, and character rather than just kind of physical attributes. Which was, Hot was, wife. <laughs> yeah, right. often often of the way those roles were written in the past, and then on set being kind of more. Um, having closed sets, now doing nudity riders, making sure everyone's signed off on exactly how a scene's going to be. On a lot of the films that I've directed, there's been no nudity because I haven't found a need for that. And I do not think gratuitous nudity is necessary. I'm a great believer in storytelling. You know, I think there's, if it's necessary for a scene, that's one thing, but I think in many cases, in many instances, 
it often isn't and the story could be told in just a, as powerful a way without it and it's about a cu the culture that we want to create right because we want to create a culture you know i certainly do where um women are respected mm. and i think you know anyone who's seen my films or knows a little bit about me knows that i'm very passionate against abuse to um, children and minors and and I've done a lot of like work in the trafficking awareness space and foster youth and and runaway kids who who often have been mistreated and often like sexually abused and it's really like not right and a, a lot of it often it's to do with the the media and what we make like feel that it like it's sort of acceptable as it were so if we're putting out images of women as sex objects in advertising and in film and in other it almost kind of encourages a culture that treats them like that and for me as a woman I think it's important to get away from that culture and I would like to kind of create an environment for you know, the younger women coming up behind me where they are respected and taken seriously as people, not as objects. Do you feel that that voice is being heard when we have an industry, same with the music industry, entertainments, let's just say across the board, that makes its living on sex and violence? I, I, I think we've still got a way to go. But there, there have definitely been um, a lot of improvements. Mm. You know, certainly people are, are less afraid to speak up and encourage that it's okay to speak up and know that they will get support. Whereas I think, you know, 10 years ago, it was, it was very, you know, you wouldn't think about speaking up. You very much had to kind of, if anything ever happened, you've got to kind of keep it quiet. How do you then turn to the young people that are coming up in the field and allow them to know that they have a voice to say no or even to not utilize sex as a as a as a tool i guess for lack of a better word you know i i, I think it's a, i think it's education you know and i think i think it's for me as a filmmaker i would love to change the world Mm -hmm. but I can only do what I can and what I can do is try and create an example with the type of films that I make mm -hmm. and I, I teach a lot and do a lot of work encouraging other filmmakers to think about making social impact content and use their voices for good and hopefully get through just a little bit. Yeah, how did Artists for Change come about? Um, the Artists for Change actually came about after... I was asked to to show a short film that I did on trafficking at a World Bank event. And, Last um, Girls? Yes. And there were people from non-profits from all over the world. And we showed them the film and then I gave a talk about how they could use the same sort of principles and steps that I'd, I'd done on with this film to raise awareness on, on an agricultural issue or, or food shortage or um, some, another social impact issue. Mm -hmm. 
And in talking to everybody afterwards, um, I realized two things. None of the people from any of the non-profits I spoke to had anyone involved in the organization who had any storytelling or, or media skills <laughs> to actually create something that would be an impactful story. And also no budget to create media. A lot of the, a lot of the, the grants and the, the, the funding that they had were all for, all, all had to be used for services, for providing services. And so had kind of restrictions on how they were used. So I, I saw the gap in the marketplace and I, I believe very passionately that film is one of the most powerful tools to educate and make change. You know, if you look at a film like Blood Diamond, for example, that totally changed the way that people brought diamonds. And also because of the furor that that film created by the conversations it started. That movie gave me a visceral pain. Yeah. Watching that film was very intense. And it I think it, uh, it's, it, you're absolutely right. I think it totally changed the narrative around the diamond industry and what was acceptable. Exactly. And a lot of the diamond companies, as a result, changed their policies. Mm. And the general public now, if someone's going to buy a diamond, usually most people will actively look for a conflict-free diamond. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants blood diamond anymore. And so that kind of like forced the, the diamond companies to change their policies and, and, and how they operated because they knew that buyers were taking that in, into consideration. I always think about too, so, people are forced into these labor-intensive, brutal conditions and abused horrifically if they don't produce what is necessary. I'm using the diamonds as a specific example because mm -hmm. we were talking about Are there programs in place then, not necessarily from Artists for Change, but in general through the UN or or, any, or UNICEF or anybody that then goes in and helps provide financial stability to these families that almost like force their children to go do this stuff, force them into these situations because they have to support the families. I, I, there are a lot of different organizations out there doing mm. different doing different things and I know very consciously doing yeah. what they can to make change. Um, you know, one of the things that we do with the films that we make is we also create little educational documentaries to go with them. So the idea is you engage with narrative and get people interested in an issue. So for example, when people watch the film about Angie Lost Girls, the film that we did about child trafficking, that was the feature. And then there's Lost Girls, the short film. Um, they're two very different stories, but they, it, it'll often get teenagers interested in knowing more about it. Then we have follow-up, we have an educational little documentary EPK piece with various experts talking about the issue, actors talking about the roles and how they were affected by it. Mm. We also create presentations, so you know a teacher can um, show the film to a class and then have some like talking points referring to various pieces of the film that they can do and and you know that has worked out very well i think it was a powerful message that the 
I think when people think about human trafficking, they think there's a big bad man with a big fat mustache in the back of a white van with no windows that's just nabbing people off the streets. But the reality is, as you showed, that it might be a peer that actually gets them into a situation that then compromises their safety. I thought that was a really important message to get out there because we all are looking for the boogeyman. Yeah. But it's the boogeyman doesn't really exist. It's, these are human beings who take all shapes and sizes. And the, and the scary thing is often, you know, the, the traffickers look very normal. They look like normal, regular people. If you, you know, if you Google traffickers and look at some of the traffickers that have been arrested, mm. you know, you'll find a, you know, there was, there was one that was a, a Chinese grandmother. There was another that looked like a regular housewife. There was, you know, a variety of different ethnicities and, and, and types very often as I showed in, in Angie Lost Girls they will use a young recruiter somebody close to you know their target's age so often it'll be somebody like you know 18 to 20 good looking can be a girl can be a guy when it's a guy they're called the Romeo recruiters because they will kind of befriend you, get to know you, court you, sweep mm -hmm. you off your feet. Mm -hmm. And before you know what's happened, they, they do what's called grooming. They will slowly alienate you from your family, your friends, and then get you to go off somewhere with them. And then you're stuck. And then what, they, what they'll do, they'll often like blackmail with pictures or video. They will often demoralize the girls so they don't believe that they can go home because now they've been demoralized to such a point where they're so full of shame they've been abused they don't have the strength to pick themselves up and leave they think they're just kind of used dirty goods mm -hmm. it, it, it is really like oh, it's, it's just heartbreaking when you hear some of the stories you know they'll often deprive them of sleep of food keep them dry and yeah threaten their sometimes families they'll give them drugs mm, mm -hmm. to kind of keep them under control and then they'll get them hooked and then that you know it's almost like that that they become ghosts mm -hmm. so they're not really conscious anymore and everything just turns into a blur for them it's 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 really tragic uh, and that's why to me is if somebody is lucky enough to escape um, from trafficking or be rescued it is a long road to rehabilitation mm -hmm. and it, it costs the, the government a lot of money to rehabilitate survivors of trafficking and and catch them up on education mixed give them you know train them up the job skills the the therapy that they need mm -hmm. to recover from the trauma it's a lot medical attention medical attention yeah it's very expensive is it so much was said i don't want to give away the film because i want people to watch it but so much there was one scene when she's walking out of the shower and so much was said by how she was walking and i just that poo that just like oh god how do you recover from that how how do you recover from stuff like that? It, it is it is really tough. What a nightmare. And it requires a lot of support and, and costs the government a lot of money. So the, I think, to me, the more we can educate mm. teenagers what trafficking looks like and educate young men 
what trafficking is and that it's not acceptable because it's reprogramming our future buyers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's however hard we try, it's probably going to be more of a challenge to rehabilitate men who are already purchasing underage girls from sex. But we, we, can, we can educate the next generation. It's very important getting young men to see the film and understand that these girls are not there out of choice um, and, and learn that this is not the way to, to treat women. And if they see a situation where that's going on, to call and report it. Mm-hmm. And also for teenagers to recognize it because if they see the signs of one of their friends being groomed, you know, they're probably the most likely people to see it and recognize it. So the more aware they are, the more chance of that teenager then saying to a teacher or someone in authority, I'm worried about so-and-so. I think she could be, be being trafficked. It could save that girl's life. Absolutely. Are most right? of your fundraising efforts geared toward trafficking or is it is it split amongst a lot of different causes at this point? Right, right now, because it's an area that I've done a lot of research on. We've been doing a, we've been doing a lot on to raise awareness on child trafficking, and mm-hmm. I feel like we've been making good inroads in that area. I'm actually about to do another project um, in January, which is a homeless story about a group of people um, who, you know, not by choice, have ended up on the streets. Hmm. and end up bonding together and forming a dysfunctional family mm-hmm. to, to, to survive. And it's a story of hope and resilience. Because I, I like to make films that, even though they're about dark topics, have an element of hope yes, and inspiration to them. Because, you, you know, I, I think that's important. And I think you also have to make content palatable for people. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, in in Angie, um, lost girls as well as the the trafficking story. We also the story the film also goes into her recovery journey. And one of the things that I noticed in talking to a lot of survivors is the way that they they found their way back was through refinding their faith again. And church groups do a lot to help and support um, survivors of trafficking and, and, and that seemed to me to be a very important component in recovery. So it shows how not just Angie but also her family have to find refind their their faith again. Because it's it's a hard thing to get over and and a teenager getting trafficked not only affects the teen but also affects the whole family unit. You know, because imagine the horror for, as, a, as a parent mm. of, of going through that. It's just, it's just heartbreaking. You know, I, I don't have children myself, but my brother does and my sister does. And I've got friends with young kids and I do a lot of work with you know, runaway kids. And, and you see these sweet little innocent faces. The thought of something horrific happening to them is... It's, it just breaks my heart. Yeah, and unfortunately a lot of runaways get trafficked or turn to sex work as a means of survival. Oh, it's, it's, it's tragic, Susan. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, 
I, I've met like 14, 15 year old kids who've run away from home and they've and often they've been like rescued by um, you know volunteers working for for one of the non-profits and and taken into shelters that mm -hmm. the stories of what they've been through are just heartbreaking and you can see the like level of trauma written all over those little faces mm -hmm. and it's it's just you know no 14 or 15 year old should have to go through that type of, of, of abuse I and mean, they, they really shouldn't and a, a really shocking figure that I heard from um, one of the, the trafficking detectives is that the average age of teens trafficked now is 12 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think of my like little niece when she was 12. It's horrifying. Oh, it's just... And the thing is, is there are people out there that are the consumers of this. And as long as there's consumers of this, it's going to be an uphill you're, you're, you're battle. You're absolutely right, Susan. It's, it's to me, the answer in solving this problem, it's, it's cutting off the demand. Because unfortunately, trafficking today is a billion dollar business. Multi-billion, it's crazy. It, and that, that is why numbers have been going up. It's happening all across America. People often have this perception that trafficking is this third Other world, world problem mm. are not happening here. One of the biggest hubs is uh, in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, is, it is happening all over America, right on our, our back doorsteps. You know, you just, if you, if you look, you read the news reports, even here in LA, you'll see two teenagers rescued in Pasadena, a teenager rescued in Malibu. You know, it's, it's, it's happening everywhere and, and it generally the biggest proponent of teens trafficked are, are from the foster youth and runaways, but there are also regular, you know, middle class children that are being trafficked today. You know, sometimes people from very rich families can be just as vulnerable because as I remember, you know, one of the, the trafficking detectives told me, he said, you know, the problem is, Julia, is that these kids are looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. One of the common denominators that I've noticed with a lot of the teens that have been trafficked is no father figure in their life or non-present parents. So I, I, you know, whenever I've spoken on panels or, or events, you know, I've always just tried to, uh, parents say, you know, what can we do? You know, I say that the best thing that you can do is, is really be present for your children and build trust. Mm -hmm. So if they are approached by a stranger online or in person, and it just seems a little odd, they'll, they'll like to, to tell you yeah. and come to you because uh, unfortunately, nowadays, you don't just have to worry about who your child is going to beat out and about. You also have to worry about online predators. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge issue. Our youth are going into these chat rooms and all these different places. You really need to monitor your teen social media a little today. Yeah, I interviewed a guy a, a little while back and he poses as young girls online and then goes and meets them and then arranges for the police and all that. And during our interview, he had his phones out that were the phones that are 
the ones he uses to communicate with these people. Not they nonstop were going off, nonstop, constantly being reached out to from men who thought they were talking to a thirteen-year-old girl. Oh, it, it it was ding 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 like not it was crazy. When I talk to people about trafficking, they often think I'm and what a problem it is. They'll often think I'm exaggerating, but when people start to dig and really look at some of the research and some of the numbers and start reading the news reports, it becomes very clear how prevalent this problem is. And, and you bring up a great point, the fact that I think a lot of parents want to believe that their children are safe because they are in an environment that looks like the environment that keeps people safe, but that's just, it's not the reality. Yeah, that's why I think I think trust is really important and encouraging your team to see these films. Mm. You know, we've we've had a lot of wonderful calls and, and notes from um parents who watched the film with their teenage daughter and and have told me that it's been an incredibly bonding experience for them because finally the daughter understood why checking calls were necessary, why her mom and dad wanted to know where she was all the time and just got a you know, little, little bit more understanding mm -hmm. about you know, why parents sort of kind of like uh, you know, hover yeah. over their teens and, and, and worry about their whereabouts and, and want the check-in because you know, anything can happen. And as you said earlier, the responsibility of friends being there for other friends, and that includes, and maybe more especially, male friends. Be eyes and ears because maybe they have a, an advantage that women don't necessarily, or young girls don't necessarily and, have. And, and that is one of my goals with the films that we're making, you know, Lost Girls and now Angie Lost Girls, and we'll soon have Maya, our next one coming out, is that the more people that see these films, the more people are going to have their eyes open and aware of, of, of what to look for and what the signs are, because mm -hmm. the more hotel staff understand what trafficking looks like, if they see you know, something going on in the hotel room or something that doesn't look right, or an older guy coming into a hotel with a much younger girl, the more likely they are to report it. Same flight with attendants. the airline staff, yep. you know, there, there's yep. been cases recently, they've, they've done some training of flight attendants lately, which has been fantastic, and mm -hmm. there, there was a flight attendant that saved a girl mm -hmm. relatively recently. Teachers, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's really important for teachers to get an understanding, and and, and parents too, so the, the more we can, you know, my, my hope is that we really get our films visible. Yeah. And, and we've also been encouraging other teens to you know, take a copy of the film and do a screening for their friends mm -hmm. and, and talk to them about it. You know, so the more they get circulated and the more kind of awareness and the more people talk about this, the better chance we have of stopping it. Yeah, let's hope the tides will turn. Fingers crossed, cutting, <laughs> off the, cutting off the demand because if there's no demand, there's no need for supply. You know, to me, that, that is really, really, really key. And it's, it's about the re-education of men. And also, you know, I think, I think a big issue is, is really encouraging fathers 
in particular to be present for their families and also you know, to, to keep an eye out for the kids in the community that don't have yeah. a present father. Mm -hmm. I'm a great believer in mentorship and I think you know one thing that we we need to do as communities is is keep our eye out for those vulnerable children mm -hmm. that 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 need a kind of mentor figure in their life or someone that they trust and and will talk to if something's not right. Yeah. And for parents to see if there are friends of your kids that are more vulnerable or not being cared for maybe in the best way throw some extra sandwich making stuff in the fridge and be okay with the fact that after school maybe the kids come to your house and make sandwiches. It might be the only meal they get. Yeah. I think I think human kindness and you know for those of us that are that are lucky to be generous and share the abundance that we have is really important today because there's so many people around who who are struggling, you know, it's 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 a tough time. Yeah, it is. You just wrapped a film. Which, which one is it? So the film I just wrapped is called Maya. Very, very excited about it. It's with um, Patricia Velasquez and Ruma Willis and the wonderful John Franco Rodriguez, who was just, he played you in McGregor's Boyfriend in Holston, if you happen to see that, mm -hmm. and a fantastic up-and-coming relatively new actress called Isabella Feliciano who was oh my god her performance is heartbreaking she is so good and um, Billy Budnett she plays Ray the the kind of like bad guy as it were is, is also really good it's like a young James Dean and and this film is it's about alcoholism domestic abuse and also trafficking, but it's also about this cycle of abuse. So at the core, it's a mother-daughter story, and how the daughter, who's kind of grown up into, grown up in a household where her mum's being abused by now to good men, and she falls into that same trap herself. Mm. So when the mother loses her daughter, it's finally what propels her to make change, and she gets sober gets her kind of her, her, her life back together and is determined no matter what to find her daughter. It's a, it's a cycle of like, you know, mother and daughter learning from each other and, and getting through the, the complexities of life together. So it's, it's a very powerful, strong story. I'm, I'm really excited for people when to see it. When can they see it? Hopefully January. Um, or you know, or early or in the spring mm -hmm. next year. You know, we have Lost Girls. The short film is available now on Amazon and iTunes and mm -hmm. a number of other platforms. Angie Lost Girls is also available on Amazon, iTunes, Directv. It's also on Lifetime under The Lost Girls. And you know, I hope people spread the word and 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 see them. And then next up is no address a story of, of, about homeless mm -hmm. wow that's great i think it's wonderful can you tell people how they might find you and maybe donate to some of these causes and help keep this creative content going oh sure absolutely people can find me at um at julia verdon on social media or at artists number four change la 
and you can find our website artists number four change dot org online and I'm always grateful for all those that support us and, and help us continue to use film to make change. Absolutely. Thank you for being on the show. And I will put all those links on the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com to make it easy for people to find stuff. Thank you for listening, everyone. And, you know, if you see something, say something. You might save a life. You never know. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Rate, review, follow, and subscribe to the Hey Human podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.